second week of a series that we've been calling Board Games. And I told you, the premise of this series is real, real simple. One thing that happened in our family during whatever you want to call it, the COVID time or the corona time or the sheltered-in time, is our family kind of re-experienced our love for board games. We would sit around the table as a family and play games, and we had so much fun doing it. As we were playing these games, it brought back so many memories from my childhood of playing these games. And I also got to thinking, because it's just kind of how my mind works in things, it brought back so much biblical truth that can be found in board games. And I, I think it's important that we take things from our modern society and we wrap biblical truth around it. Jesus did that. He told parables all the time. He used illustrations and he used stories from the day and time that he lived in. And I've always said this, you might not remember my sermon, but you'll always remember the illustration. And when you see that illustration come along, it'll kind of something to click in you, you'll remember the sermon. And so we've been doing this series and last week we started talking about Scrabble and the power of our words, and this week I want to go back to what is literally one of my favorite games as a kid. Growing up, I loved to play the game. I don't know, it was funny, I said something about this on Facebook, and there were several people that didn't know this game, that kind of shocked me, but how many of you remember the game Shoots and Ladders? Shoots and Ladders, man, Shoots and Ladders was my jam. I loved me some shoots and ladders, and the premise of the game is real simple. You'd spin the thing. It was a board that went this way, this way, all the way up to the end, and you moved ever how many spaces. But if you landed on a space that had a ladder, you were able to climb the ladder up the board to the space where the ladder ends. So you could skip one level or two levels or three levels on the board, and that's what you wanted to do, man. When you landed on a ladder, life was good. Man, you were moving up quickly. You were taking the lead. You were destroying everything in your way. The goal was to land on the ladder. Kind of like in life, man. We want to be on that fast track to purpose, that fast track to success, that fast track to whatever else. But here's the problem with the game board of shoots and ladders. There's not only ladders, there's shoots. There's slides. And the problem is, you would go on the board, and if you landed on a shoot spot or a land or a slide spot, you had to go back down the board. It was the exact opposite of the ladder. You wanted to avoid the shoots. The shoots were that place where one minute you could be climbing up high. And what always happened to me is I would land on the biggest ladder, man. I mean, I would go from the first level all the way to the last level. But if you remember the game, about three spots before the end. Three spots before you would win the game, if you landed on that spot, there was a chute that took you all the way down the board back to the beginning. And as great as the ladders were, the chute sucked. There was nothing more deflating than the chute. And let's just be honest, isn't that how life happens? Isn't that just like life, man? You're rocking and rolling and you're clicking and life's going good. One minute you're cruising alone, man. Your marriage is good. Your finances are good. Your career's good. Man, you, you, you have finally have achieved what it is you've been working towards achieving. Dare I say for the first time maybe in your life you have peace and you have contentment and you're just rocking and rolling. And man, you get up every day and it's sunny skies. And literally out of nowhere, bam, you land on the chute. 
You didn't mean to land on the chute. You didn't want to land on the chute. You just hit the chute. The reality is this. Shoot happens. No matter how hard you try to avoid it, no matter how much you don't want to land on it, shoot happens. You can't go over the chute. You can't go under the chute. You can't go around the chute. The only way you can deal with the chute is to land on it, slide down to the bottom, and then you've got to make a decision. Do I give up? Do I get frustrated? Do I quit trying to win the game? Or do I spin the wheel and try to get back on the ladder? Shoot happens. Here's the reality of that situation. You are now. You soon shall be. Or you just came out of a ride on the chute. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you love God, how much you give to the church, how much you attend church. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter if you do everything that our society deems you're supposed to do. The reality is at one time or another, we've all been down the chute or we're going to come up to the chute or maybe you're here today and you're in the middle of going down the chute. Shoot happens. In this life, you're going to go through difficult times. How's that for encouraging today? In this life, you're going to deal with disappointment. In this life, you're going to be frustrated. In this life, you're going to have to start over. Probably not one time, probably not two times, but many times. It's called life. Life is full of going up the ladder. And life is full of going down the chute. Chute happens. And there's nothing we can do to avoid it. And you know the worst part about the chute? Is it normally happens when everything is going great. <laughs> normally the chute comes out of nowhere. The chute blindside you because if it didn't blindside you guess what you would do everything you could to avoid it cruising along clicking along and boom shoot happens man your job's going good your job's rocking and rolling boom covid hits and your job's gone your health is good your health is great. Go to the doctor for a routine checkup. Boom. You got to deal with this. You, 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 you've got control for the first time in your life of your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. And out of nowhere, you spin the wheel, you take a step, and bam, you land on the chute. Chute happens you're no longer on that upward swing. You're no longer on that upward climb. You're on a downward spiral, 
and there's nowhere to go but to the end of the slide. You ever been down a slide and try to stop going down the slide? Here's the amazing thing about slides. You know what always wins? Gravity. You might be able to slow it down. You might be able to skid along a little bit slower. But the only way off the slide is to get to the bottom. Shoot happens. You go from climbing the ladder to sliding down the chute. And the reality is it sucks. I hate the chute. I hate watching so many of you go through the chute. But chutes are part of life. And how you respond to the chute will dictate the outcome of how you move forward after you go down the chute. Shoots happen. And I'm going to reiterate this over and over because it's that important. Shoots happen and there's nothing you can do to avoid it. Let me make this very clear to you today. I am not about to give you a sermon on how to avoid the shoot. It's impossible. I don't have three easy steps on how to go through life and never go down the chute. The reality is you need to go down the chute sometimes to appreciate the life that you have. Somebody say amen. Amen. How you respond to the chute will determine whether or not you live the life God intended for you to live. I'm actually convinced that the chute is one of the missing principles taught in our churches today. We have a lot of churches that want to preach, hey, man, when you follow God, it's all sunflower fields, it's all unicorn farts, it's all bubbles, it's all great, man. Jump on the rainbow and just enjoy Jesus. The problem is God says in this world you will have trouble. If you think Jesus is an answer to avoid all your problems, then you're an idiot. That's not very pastor-like. I'm sorry, let me reiterate it again. If you think Jesus is an answer to avoid all your problems, you're an idiot. You need to go check your brain into into a doctor's office to have it examined to see what's wrong with you. That's your problem. You want the easy way out. You thought Jesus was a get out of jail free card. And that's why you get, it always kills me. Boy, everybody's about Jesus when it's good. Then when things go bad, we're mad at God. Instead of mad at ourselves. I'll get to that in a minute, though. I'm getting ahead of myself. Shoot happens. And it's the missing thing taught. I don't want to be discouraging today, but shoot's coming. If you're not already in it. And probably, to be honest with you, There's never been a time in our lifetimes so many of us were sliding down the chute like we are in this time. I've been on that chute since about the middle of March. My wife had been up the ladder the whole time through everything, which makes it worse. You're going down the chute, she's going up the ladder. 
You're supposed to be the pastor. You're supposed to be the leader of the home. You're supposed to set the example. And you're sliding down the chute, and she's just climbing up the ladder, man. Man, God's in control, and God's good. But then guess what happened to her this week? She took a step, and shoot happened. You can't avoid the shoot. We always joke in our house, it's a good thing we're never going down the chute at the same time. I start to get off the chute. She gets on the chute, but shoot happens. These are trying times that we live in. I don't know that I have hated people, all people, more than I hate them right now. You say, that's not very pastor-like. I'm just being honest with you. People want to make me bash my head up against the wall. And I very much accept that I make other people want to bash their head up against the wall. I get that it goes both ways. The shoot's coming. The shoot, when everything's going good in life, and then suddenly, without warning, life starts to fall apart. And there's a lot of different kinds of shoots. Let's make that real clear. There's shoots that I like to call shoots of disobedience. Shoots of disobedience. These are those shoots that were down because, man, we made, say, poor financial decisions. And now we're in bad financial trouble. We neglected our marriage. And now our marriage is falling apart. We let our health go, and then we go to the doctor. They're like, man, you got this, this, and this problem. We knew what we were supposed to do. We just didn't do it. Now we're on the shoot, and we want to blame somebody except ourselves. I told you I got a buddy of mine who went through a period where he was mad at God. I said, what are you mad about? God? I don't have my license. God took my license. I said, no, you idiot. You got two DUIs in four months. You took your license. We love to pass the buck. Shoots of disobedience. The Bible's full of people like this. David went through a shoot of disobedience. Jonah, Samson. Then there's the shoot of just what I like to call stupidity. The shoot of stupidity. stupidity. This is when you just do something stupid. And all of a sudden you're on the shoot. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know why my marriage is falling apart. Well, you had an affair. Here's your sign. I don't know why I don't have any money. Because you pissed it all away. Like, here, here, here's why you're on the shoot. Let me encourage you. I know some of you are first-time guests, and I might freak you out today. Sorry. Might as well get the full action experience the first week you're here. Some of you are on the shoot, and I love you because you're stupid. <laughs> Let me back that up, because you're not stupid. You do stupid stuff. I could preach all day long on the shoot of disobedience. I could preach all day long on the shoot of stupidity. We're not going to preach on either one today, though. I want to talk to you today about divine shoots. There's times in life that everything's going good and everything's going great, and yet you still, 
end up on the chute crashing down. And this is the chute that many people experience in their life. And it's also the chute that's the hardest to understand. This is what I like to call the God chute. There's times in life God has to get your attention and he'll knock you down on the chute. There's times God's got to remind you he's God and you're not. The God shoot. The God shoot's painful. But if we embrace some things through that process, it can be life-changing. The divine shoot is that shoot you're going down and you're not going down on it because you were disobedient. You're not on that slide because of stupidity. But you're on the shoot. You were more on fire for life than you've ever been. And suddenly you're on the shoot. You signed up, man, for financial peace and you're getting out of debt and you're working the steps and the steps are working and for the first time ever you're seeing financial freedom up ahead and bam, you're on the shoot. And you don't understand why. Man, your marriage is going great and you guys are clicking and then you throw down over the stupidest thing. 17 days later when you're done fighting, you don't even remember why you started fighting. The divine shoot. Life's going good. You're tuned in to the words. You're tuned in to God. You've got good people around you, and holy smokes, you're just on that shoot. I'm talking about for the first time ever in life, man, you got a grip on your insecurity. But for some reason, out of the blue, it flares up out of nowhere. You're on the shoot. Man, for years and years and years, you've tried to get that gambling addiction under control, that porn addiction under control, that alcohol addiction under control, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, bam, the urge is back there again, and it's all you can think about. You're on the shoot. How about this one, man? You had your anger issues that were destroying everything in your life under control. You've been working your steps. Man, you've been learning how to count to 10. You've been learning how to control your anger and breathe, and things are great. And all the relationships that you destroyed because of your anger are coming back together, and they're being restored. And bam, something small happens, and you lose your mind. You don't know why. You're just on the shoot. Thought your finances were getting in order and the refrigerator breaks. Car breaks down. You're back in the hole again. Been working on your marriage and suddenly, man, he does something you don't like or she does something you don't like and that's the first thing is the discussion goes to the D word. Ah, oh, maybe we just need to get a divorce. On that shoot. How about this? Man, you're trying to live for God and serve God and you're excited about what God's doing in your life and all your spouse does is tear you down for being excited about the things of God. You're on the shoot. Shoot 
happens. I want to look at the story today of someone in the Bible who experienced a shoot episode in his life. I find it encouraging, this story, because it lets me know that the shoot isn't something new. It lets me know that when I have a shoot happen in my life, I'm not the only one that's experiencing that. I find great comfort in the lack of faith and the stupidity, the disobedience, or whatever you want to call the people in this book. Because it allows me to know I'm not the only idiot in the world. It allows me to know I'm not the only one who screws up in the world. It reminds me that God takes messed up people, people who screw up people who go through episodes of lacking faith, and he still chooses to use those people for his glory. Somebody say amen. amen. I love this book. I want to look at one of my favorite people in all the Bible, and I want to show you as they go down the divine chute. In 1 Kings 17, we're introduced to a guy named Elijah. Elijah was bad to the bone. The Bible says this in verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, said to Ahab, Ahab was the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. You need to understand something. This is the first time in all the Bible we're introduced to this cat named Elijah. Right off the bat, God says, this is a bad dude. I'm sending him to stand before the king and deliver my message to the king. So he goes before the king and he says, hey, my name's Elijah. Remember it. I've got a message from God. I've got a message from the God whom I serve. He says, there will be no more rain in this country. He says, there won't even be dew on the ground in this country until God tells me to announce that it's time for it to rain. <laughs> That's pretty tough. The king doesn't take this very well. I can't imagine the king would take this very well. Who is this guy and where did he come from? And who is he telling me there's going to be no rain? Because rain was so vital to the vitality of a country. It's how they grew crops. It's how they fed the animals. It's how they bathed themselves. It's how they washed. It's how they kept things clean. They literally would die with no water. And this cat shows up and says, there'll be none. And God knew that Elijah's life would now be in danger. So the very next verse, he comes to the king. He tells the king there'll be no rain. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. God comes along to Elijah and he says, I've told you what to do. Now I'm going to protect you. Get out of town. He says, I'm going to tell you exactly where to go. You could call this God's GPS. Here's where I want you to go, east of the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. Go to this place, and when you get to this place, guess what? I'm going to take care of you. The next verse, verse 4, he says, go to this place. He says, look what will happen. You will drink from the brook. 
that I have, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. I love everything about this verse, and you'll miss some things if you're not careful. He says, I just told you to tell the king there'll be no rain, so there's going to be a drought in the land. He says, there's going to be such a drought in the land that there won't even be dew on the grass when you wake up in the morning, but I want you to go to this place, and I'm going to quench your thirst from the brook. The brook that should be dried up. The brook that should be no longer in existence. He says, I'm going to keep this brook going so you can survive. On top of that, I'm going to send birds to feed you. I don't know what they were bringing. I like the picture they were bringing ribeye steak. I like the picture that one bird flew in, dropped a steak. Another bird flew in, dropped a baked potato. Another bird flew in, threw a little Caesar salad from downtown kitchen on the side. And I just like the picture that that's how God was feeding Elijah. Guess what Elijah's on? The ladder. Life is pretty good for Elijah. He's done as God has told him to do. The God of the universe audibly speaks to him. That's pretty cool. He has went and stood before the king and issued a command, and what he has issued is now happening, so it proves that Elijah is a powerful individual. Then God tells him, here's some GPS coordinates, you go away. I'm going to take care of you while the rest of the country has nothing to drink, has no water, so therefore they can't grow anything, and their cattle are all dying, so they also have nothing to eat. Elijah is on the ladder. But guess what? The shoot's coming. It's easy to read this and say, man, it's good to be Elijah. But shoot happens. Don't miss this. This is so vital because I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Elijah is right where he's supposed to be. Elijah is in the center of God's will. He has not been stupid. He has not been disobedient. He has done exactly what God has told him to do. And yet, shoot is about to happen. The shoot is about to hit the fan. So he did what the Lord told him. Center of God's will. He went to the Careth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread, and they brought him meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. I told you his meat, it was ribeye steak. And he drank from the brook. Elijah is following God, and life is good. I even like the picture that the brook was flowing a little bit of Kentucky bourbon through there. He's got bourbon every night, ribeye steak. Bre How many of you ever ate at Downtown Kitchen? Downtown Kitchen has this bread that's like crack. I've never done crack, but I would assume this is what crack is like from the way I've seen people not be able to stop doing crack. Um, it's the way this bread is. So I like to picture that he's bringing him Downtown Kitchen bread. The man of God, don't miss this. I'm going to reiterate it over and over because it's that vital. The man of God 
is in the will of God, yet the shoot's coming. Very next verse. Sometime later, the brook dried up. (laughs) It's kind of ironic why the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land. Wait a minute. God, you sent me here. You told me to come here. You told me you were going to feed me from the ravens and, 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 and quench my thirst through the brook, and now the brook is dried up. Wait a minute, God, hey, I was following you. And it's kind of funny a little bit. It's kind of ironic why the brook dried up. The brook dried up because there was no rain. There was no rain because Elijah said there would be no rain. Elijah said there would be no rain. Why? Bam, because God told him to say it. Elijah is in the middle of God's will, and shoot happens. He's in the center of God's will, and now the brook has dried up. I'm here to tell you today, many of you are on the cusp of getting victory over whatever it is that's keeping you from being all that God wants you to be. Man, you've been climbing ladders, and you've been clicking, and things have been good, and you've got family members that were far from God, and now they're excited about God, and things is just right. You're back working, things are looking up, yet your world's getting back to normal. You're in the middle of God's will, but the shoot's coming. And how you respond to the shoot will determine the level of freedom you experience in life. The shoot has not come because you've done something wrong. It comes because God has chosen to let it come. Because God has a plan on the shoot. There's some lessons on the shoot you can't learn on the ladder. There's some lessons when you're flat on your back and all you can do is look up that you can't learn when everything is going good. There's lessons I learned on the shoot of our marriage that I'd have never learned on the ladder of our marriage. There's lessons that I have learned on the shoot of business that I'd have never learned on the ladder of business. Now, don't get me wrong, I dig the ladder. I prefer the latter. I despise the shoot, but I've learned to be thankful for it. But only when and if I follow some steps on the shoot. Elijah lays it out how we're to handle the shoot. Shoot what? Shoot happens. The first thing we've got to do on the shoot is this. We've got to accept What God is doing. This is so vital. This is so important. The shoot is coming. We can't stop it. The problem is, though, for so many of us, is when the shoot comes, we do whatever we can. We fight like crazy to stop the shoot. You can't stop the shoot. You can't put your feet down and your arms out. Matter of fact, have you ever tried to stop on a shoot? You actually get beat up more 
Oh, you come down there now, and now you got the, the burns on your elbow, the plastic burns, or you're going down the water slide, and you're trying to stop, and the water's burning you, the water's drowning you because you backed up the water because you're freaking out. I think it's so funny to go to whitewater and watch people go down the slides and freak out and try to stop in the middle. Get off the freaking slide. You're about to drown yourself. Just suck it up and ride to the end, and you'll be able to walk away. But we try to fight the shoot instead of accepting the shoot. Don't miss this. You'll never get through the shoot until you accept the shoot. The shoot is unavoidable. But you spend so much time fighting the shoot, questioning the shoot, looking for sympathy for the shoot. You look for so much time wallowing in the shoot, whining in the shoot. It's like you lose your testicular fortitude on the chute and you want everyone else to feel sorry for you that you're on the chute. Just own up and embrace the chute. It's a quicker ride when you accept the chute. You get through the, the nastiness of the chute a whole lot quicker when you accept it. Check it out, man. Elijah's at the brook. The brook dries up. This is a huge deal. He's far away from anything. God has sent him out in the middle of nowhere. He could literally dehydrate and die, and God's the one who sent him there. He's where God told him to be. Yet the brook is dried up. So what's he going to do? He can get mad at God. He can fight God. He can wallow in it. He can sit there like a lump on a log and feel sorry for himself. Oh, my God, God brought me out here, and now the brook's dried up. I'm going to sit on this rock and just whine and cry myself. I'm going to feel sorry for myself. Shut up. God, I hate whiners. And old BTW, man, I can be a whiner. Don't you, amen? Listen, listen, listen. I ain't preaching at you today. I'm preaching with you today. Been there. Done that. Got the scars to prove it. The shoot sucks. Man, he could have gotten mad. But Elijah chose to accept it. Look what the Bible says. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is so vital. You cannot miss this. I have heard preacher after preacher after preacher preach on this verse or on this chapter or this portion of scripture. And what they do is I've never heard them preach on this though. They use this as a transition to get to the next thing. This is a transitional verse a lot of times for them to set up what is next. But it's important because God is about to set huge things up. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah because Elijah accepts it because Elijah listens because Elijah doesn't whine because Elijah's not too busy griping that he can't hear the word of the Lord because he's accepted what he's going through. God's about to talk to him while he's on the shoot. 
You know why we can't hear from God on the shoot? Because we're too busy arguing with God on the shoot. We're too busy being angry at God on the shoot. We're too busy complaining and whining to everyone else while we're on the shoot. We don't even know what's going to come at the end of the shoot. But we're throwing a temper tantrum on the shoot. How many of you got kids? How many of you got kids? Raise your hands, raise your hands. How many of you have ever... Trust me, no, ain't nobody in this church calling defects. You're good. How many of you have ever had to whip your children? Yeah, we're a whipping family. You know what's funny about whipping your kids? Though? There's nothing funny about whipping your kids. But you know what's funny about whipping your kids? This is why I don't like being live on the internet. So many times when you go to whip your kids, the pre-spanking is way worse than the actual spanking. I mean, they're falling out in the floor. They're cutting their hands behind their butt. Man, they're trying to pierce themselves up against the wall. Man, they go stiff as a board. If they just take the whip and it'd be over, but it goes 10 times longer, they end up getting more punishment because they're freaking out over it. Just accept the punishment and quit fighting the punishment. I'm about to throw this microphone. I'm not going to throw it, I promise. I've already broke one. The pre-spanking is way worse than the regular spanking. And that's what we do down the chute. We're so busy freaking out on the chute, we can't even get to the bottom and see what happens at the bottom. You know another thing kids are bad at? How about when they have to take medicine? Yeah. They have to take medicine. Oh, medicine! You're like, just take it. It'll be over in two seconds. I got a glass of water. I got a brownie here for you. The minute it goes down, stick the brownie in your mouth. It's good. Like literally it takes one second to take the medicine and they fight it for 15 minutes. Sometimes they fight it up. Oh, this is good. I didn't think of it. Sometimes they fight it so much that they throw it up and have to do it again. So many of you have to go down the chute over and over and over again because you just won't accept the chute. You're hard-headed. And you... And you say it with pride. And we're all looking at you thinking, you're an idiot. Like, learn your lesson. One thing about me, my mom will always tell you, I stayed in trouble my whole life. But my mom will tell you, she says, she'll tell you, she goes, I'll say this about Gary. He never got in trouble for the same thing twice. I learned one time. I was on something new. I don't want to whip him for the same thing. Man, you got to accept it. I told you last week I get these shots. Boy, let me tell you something about getting shots. You are a nosy group of people. I can't tell you how many of well, you get shots. Well, none of your business. None of your business. But, man, I am not too good when it's time to get a shot, am I? We've been getting a shot for a year now. I grab, I mean, I pitch a fit. I gripe. I complain, I get mad at Christine who has to give me, like, like it's her fault. And then you know the worst part about it is, like I've got them so much now I don't even feel it. It doesn't even hurt. But you would think she was about to kill me. 
And then she screwed up the other day, though. She did say this the other day. She goes, I hate when I hurt you. She said, now, a couple years ago when I was mad at you, I didn't care. <laughs> oh, well, that's encouraging. So literally this week, we had a little argument, and it was time to get the shot. I said, well, I'm not getting that shot right now. <laughs> Why? I said, you just told me the other day you didn't care when you were mad at me if the shot hurt. You really think I would do that? I was just saying that. Yeah, I think you would do it. The shot's nowhere near as bad as a temper tantrum I throw. Accept the shoot. Realize it. It sucks. I get it. Your marriage is falling apart and it sucks. But it's over. Accept it. You've lost everything financially. That's horrible. Been there. Done it. Got the scars to prove it. I understand it. It's horrible. But you know the amazing thing about failure? Failure sucks. But it is not fatal. It is not fatal. It will not kill you. It might feel like it's going to kill you. It might destroy you. You've lost a loved one recently. You, you've been diagnosed with them. That's horrible. I am not trying to minimize that. You need to understand my heart. I promise you I'm not. But you being angry and you fighting and you questioning and you wondering why, ain't going to change it. And actually what you're doing is you're not allowing God to speak to you in the middle of it because you're making so much noise. Elijah got this, the brook dried up, and, and man, he, he just said, man, as painful as this shoot is, and I'm a little bit freaked out that I, I might not have anything to drink. I'm going to listen to the word of the Lord. Sometimes God's got to knock you down to get your attention. So we're going to accept what God is doing. The second way we're going to deal with the shoot is this. We are going to remember what God has done in the past. We're going to remember what God has done in the past. The shoot's coming. But when the shoot comes, the best thing you can do is remember the last time you were on the shoot. And remember, it didn't kill you. It didn't ruin you. Matter of fact, chances are really good that God showed out the last time you were on that shoot. It's not the first shoot you've been through. And I got a news flash for you, honey. It won't be the last. I, I lost my cool with Emily this week, our daughter. And I said a cuss word. I did not like that. I do not want to cuss at my kids. And I went in there and I let her know I was so sorry. But you know the one thing I made sure I didn't do? I did not look at her and tell her I would never do it again. I looked at her and said, hey, I'm so sorry. And I will make sure that I work to never talk to you like that again. But I also ain't going to lie to you. Chances are real good. The older you get, the more I'm going to do it. <laughs> we need to go back and remember God. He's not only God in the good times. He's God in the bad times. Matter of fact, if he's only God when everything's going good, your God's weak. And your faith sucks. He's God in the valley. He's God when the dark clouds are out. 
He's not just God when there's money in the bank. He's, he's God when you don't got two pennies to rub together. He's not just God when it's all smiles and unicorn farts. He's God when life is falling apart. He's God when you find out unicorns don't even exist. He's the God of the ladder. And by God, he's the God of the shoot. When work is great and the marriage is great and finances are great, and then everything falls apart, he's still God. You got to remember what he did on the mountain if you're going to get through the valley. Scratch that. You got to remember what he did the last time you were in the valley. Because here's the amazing thing about a mountain every mountain has a valley before it, every mountain has a valley after it. That's why it's a mountain. Look what God told him. Remember, he listened to God. He said, go at once to Zarephath and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, God sent him to Kareth Ravine and said, the brook's going to give you water and the ravens are going to give you food. Now the brook is dried up and he's given, her, he's given God, Elijah another command. He says, now you're going to go to Zarephath, and I have commanded a woman. You don't even know this woman. She's a widow woman. I'm not even going to give you her name, but here's what I'm going to tell you she's going to do. She is going to provide for you. You know what I believe happened the moment Elijah heard this? I believe he remembered when God told him to go to the brook. And he remembered the Bible said for some time God quenched his thirst at the brook. And for some time, God brought ravens to feed him food. Here's the reality of the matter. Everything's dried up, he's on the shoot. But going to find a widow to feed you doesn't sound crazy when you've been fed by ravens. He went back and remembered what God had already done. When God was drying up the land, God said, go here and I'm going to feed you and I'm going to quench your thirst. Hey, now I'm done there. I've got another place for you to go and this lady's going to do that. He said, hey, listen, he went back to, to that place where God told him. He said, go to Caravine, you'll drink from the brook. I've directed the ravens to supply you food there. Elijah's in the chute. God gives him a crazy command. But the command's not crazy. Because he remembers what God has done for him before. He remembered, man, that the ravens brought him ribeye steak. If a raven brought me ribeyes, then the widow's probably about to bring me filet mignon. And lobster tail. He remembered what God had already done in his life. It's easy to get through the chute... Don't miss this. It's easy to get through the chute when you remember what God did the last time you were in the chute. We legitimately, in the middle of March, because I do events for a living, had to sit down and think to ourselves, man, are we about to lose everything? Matter of fact, we, I, I remember being, it's just coincidence, we were at dinner at a Mexican restaurant with David and Sierra, the, basically the day everything got shut down. And I looked at him and said, man, I don't know what we're going to do. And I was in a little bit of freak out mode. 
But, but you know what happens then? You know how you get through that shoot? You go back and you remember 11 years ago when you did lose everything. When you were living in somebody's basement. When you went from on top of the world to literally, literally having your kids and it being a big deal that you had $5 to go to Little Caesars to feed them a pizza. You go back and you remember what it was like to be on the front page of the paper and everybody in this town to hate you. I've been there. I've done that. I got the scars. Here's the deal. Screw you, COVID. You don't scare me. I remember what God did the last time I was in a shoot. Some of you need to go back and remember what God did for you. When you decided to quit drinking five years ago, God took the urge away. You might be craving it today, but the God who took that urge away will take this urge away. The shoot's okay when you remember what God's done in the past. Hey, I get it. Some of you just lost your job. I guarantee you it ain't the first time you've lost a job. It won't be the last time you lose a job. Your marriage is hell right now. Newsflash for you. In case you didn't know this, marriage is the hardest thing you'll ever do in life. Two different people from two different backgrounds and two different upbringings coming together and becoming one, it's hard. There's going to be some shoots in your marriage. But you go back and remember the last time you were on that shoot and what God did in that. (laughs) Man, the God who got you through yesterday will get you through today if you go back and remember. There's times here at this church that I just want to walk away from it. I just got to be honest. I've told you a hundred times, man. I'm like you. I volunteer here. I'm just a regular person here like you are. And there's times this place wears me out. It don't take a brain surgeon to look around and say, man, we ain't rolling the dough around here. This is a labor of love. And when the governor got up two and a half months ago and said churches can no longer meet, I looked at Christine and said, this is probably it. I said, we're probably done. I do not know if we'll reopen our doors. We are not a technology-driven church. We have no intent. We have no intentions of being a technology-driven church. Man, praise God for these churches that can broadcast these TV. That's awesome. That's just not our vision. We're a gathering church. We're a high-fiving church and a hugging church and a cuss-each-other-out church. That's just what we are. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that the others are wrong. I'm saying that's just what we are. We're a gathering church. I don't want to be an online church. I don't want to be that. It's not what we are. I realize it reaches all kinds of people. And here's the deal. Here's my prayer for everybody all over the country that watches this. I pray that it just opens a door for them to want to find a church in their community to gather in. You miss out on so much if all you get is my sexy cell phone video. <laughs> but when I started to get real frustrated, and because here's the deal. On a normal Sunday, we barely pay the bills around here. I can't tell you how many times business, and I, I don't say this in a bragging way, but my businesses have paid the bills around here. I can't tell you how many times other people's businesses 
have come and said, man, what's the church need and paid the bills around here? Everybody was like, move to online church and online giving. Let me tell you, did you know that the average church, a larger church, 80% of their giving comes online? That's awesome. I'm about to rock your world. Before COVID, 3% of our giving came online. Because we don't emphasize that. We don't care. We don't emphasize, we don't talk about giving a lot. But when you're not gathering and 3% of your giving comes in and your landlord don't care because the rent's still due and the utility company don't care because the electricity, you get a little bit stressed. But you know what I just did during that time? I went back and I just remembered some things. I remembered when we were meeting at the YMCA, which is where we started. Many of you don't know that. And I remember that we met there for three weeks and so many people, whew, I don't know if I should say this on, on video, but I'm going to. So many people from my previous church called the YMCA and said, if you allow Gary Lamb to keep meeting there, we'll pull our membership. That the YMCA threw us out of the building. And I remember how within days God provided the art center for us. And how we met at the art center for months after months after months after months. And when they changed directors and the new director didn't want to rent the building out, how literally within one week God provided a building next door for us, which is now our kids' area. And how I had never been in a building before. I'd never pastored a church that had a building. I'd been on huge staff at huge churches that are all portable and never had had a building and thought, man, you rent a building, you unlock the door and you set up chairs. And we set up chairs. And the very first week I showed up the Monday after we met and there was this red tag on the door. So what's that red tag? If you have any questions, call this. Oh, okay. City. I called the city. I said, oh, yeah, you can't meet in that building. That building is condemned. I said, oh, what do you mean? They said, we mean that building is not safe. I said, well, I just signed a year lease on it. And, and you know what I remember? <laughs> I remember there was 30 of us. I remember... That for six months, six months, from June to the first week in December, we met out in the parking lot. And that for six months, it never rained on a Sunday. Not one time. First Sunday it rained was the first Sunday we were in that building. And I remember we didn't have $150 in the bank, but God provided over and over for us to build that building out. And I remember that we were helping the homeless at the time because at that time there were so many homeless people around us that we had a school bus that we let the homeless stay in the city. He said, you can't do that. I said, it's just a camper of mine. If they get in the camper at night, what am I supposed to do? And you had to move it every day to prove it wasn't locked in one place. And I remember there would be days it was so windy we'd put the bus on the side of us to block the wind. And then I remember that somebody showed up one day and there was a box of like 300 blankets for us to give to the homeless. And we gave them to the homeless about four months later, but we ended up using them on Sunday morning because it was so cold that we'd wrap up and meet in the parking lot. And it went from 30 people to 40 people to 50 people to 70 people to 80 people. And then we got in that building over there. And we started having people show up with kids. Problem with that building over there is it's one big room with two walk-in freezers that didn't work off the back wall. I said, well, why don't we turn these walk-in freezers into kid space? So we did and didn't tell y'all. Y'all thought there were rooms back there. That's why we never let the parents pass the, for security reasons, you can't come pass the check-in. 
And then my favorite was we outgrew those two things. And then we said, huh, what are we going to do with the kids now? Well, we got that homeless bus. I said, well, I just saw another bus online for $200. Let's get it. We drove to Tampa to get it. I took a guy with me that didn't even have a driver's license and made him drive it back from Tampa. <laughs> so then we put hardwood floors in the buses and put air conditioning window units in the buses. And it was always funny because first-time guests would come and they would check their kids and their kids would leave. And they're like, oh, you must have a bus thing back there. I'd be like, uh-huh. No, it's a real bus. And the bus worked great till it was 100 degrees outside and all of a sudden, you know, you cook kids in a bus. Yeah. And I remember, though, that the kids' area grew in a school bus and the kids' area grew in a walk-in freezer and that we wanted this building. And remember, the landlord would not give us this building for anything. No, I'm not, I don't want to rent that out. I don't want to rent that out. And he led a grocery store meeting here and he led a haunted house meeting here. And I remember that, at that time, we actually had money and I offered him a pretty substantial amount of money. He turned me down. And I remember two years later, him coming to me and saying, hey, y'all want that building? I said, Yeah. He said, well, is that all for still? I said, no, we don't have that kind of money now. And he said, well, how about this amount? And he gave it to us for 30% of what he wanted two years before. And I remember we had no money to build this building out. And we built it out. And every time I think the electric bill is going to get cut off, and trust me, there's been many times, Christine, is there not that I've met the power company down here? I said, don't cut that power off. We'll figure it out that God provides Sometimes you got to go back and remember what God's done in the past to get you through the future. Man, I'm going way too long today on this point. You just got to remember. You got to remember the lives that have been changed here. I, 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 I can remember literally homeless people walking in this building with no T-shirt on because they had no clothes. I remember a man walking in that was such an alcoholic that he was literally in DT shaking. I had to go to the Chevron and say, hey, I'm taking this beer. I'll come back after 12 when you can take it and I'll pay for it. And I had to give the man a beer where he could sit through the service, quit shaking. I, I, I remember couples that have been kicked out of churches because they chose to love someone of the same sex. I've seen people come in in this church who got thrown out of their church because they got divorced. I've seen people who wanted nothing to do with God come through this door and have their life changed. So when I feel like giving up, I can just go back and remember how God provides. The shoot sucks, but you got to remember what God's done. Last all and I'm done, I promise you got to trust what God is doing. That's where faith comes in. The problem with so many of you is you don't have faith because you want to know the outcome. That's not faith. <laughs> That's knowing the whole story. Though Elijah didn't know what was going to happen when he got there, he went. He trusted God. He didn't know how God was going to provide through this widow, but he trusted God. He didn't know that he was going to meet this widow. This widow was going to feed him. And in the process, she was going to save his life. And God was going to prepare him to leave the widow down the road. Go to Mount Carmel. Take on the prophets of Baal, that's a whole nother story, and have his greatest victory that he ever had. Normally after the shoot comes a ladder. 
Literally, Elijah would go on to have his biggest victory because he simply trusted God. Look what the Bible says. People say, I don't understand the Bible. It's complicated. Well, you'll understand this. God told him to go to Zarephath, and the Bible says in verse 10, so he went to Zarephath. He did what God told him to do. Here's what you need to understand. God knows what he's doing. God's God, and you're not. You don't understand why you're dealing with that sickness. You don't understand why you're going through that trial. You don't understand why you're going through that tribulation. You don't understand why this happened or that happened. I get it, but God does. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for the good of those who love him. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose in the middle of the shoot. Many times our greatest ministry comes from our biggest mess. Everybody here can minister to people that I'll never be able to minister to because of the shoot you went down. There's some of you that come to me and you want to talk about certain things. And I'll look and you say, man, I'm not the one to talk to. Let me introduce you to my wife. There's some of you who come and say, man, I don't understand this, this, this. Man, let me introduce you to so-and-so. Let me introduce you to this person. They've been there. They've done that. They've been down that chute. They can relate a little bit more. Shoot happens. Can't avoid it. You can curl up at the end of it and sit there and die like a coward. Like someone that your kids won't respect and your loved ones won't respect and you can show how freaking weak you are as you curl up at the end of the chute and feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> or you can get back up, spin the piece, and start moving back up the board. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to hit a ladder. Then you're going to hit a chute. Then you're going to hit a ladder. Then you're going to hit a chute. Then you're going to hit a ladder. And eventually you're going to get to the end of the game winning. But the decision's yours. Accept it. Remember what God's done. And trust him in the process. Let's pray.